All right. So like I said in the intro, you guys, we appreciate the questions coming in. I'm here with Adam. And let's just go ahead and dive right into it. This first question comes from Roger. He says, hey, Brandon, I'm a basketball player. I'm 16 going into trying out for varsity next season. And I heard you guys in a Bucks podcast episode talk about the drop coverage. And at my high school, all we do is switch pick and roll. So I wanted to know a little bit more about what drop coverage is. What are some other pick and roll coverages and what do you guys prefer? So Adam, I'll let you take the first end of it and kind of like explaining, you know, drop coverage, I guess, to the guy who hasn't seen it or maybe doesn't recognize it. And we'll just kind of go back and forth off each other. Right. So the the basic idea behind the drop coverage, or at least where it gets its name from, is the player guarding the screener, who would normally be the big man, is going to drop back almost down to like the free throw line if this is happening up at the up at the top, while the guy guarding the ball handler, which would normally be a smaller dude, is going to try to come over the screen and chase that guy off, get back onto his man, and then the big will get back onto his original screener. The idea behind this is that the guard or the ball handler coming around the screen, if he tries to go to the rim, that big will be there waiting for it. It is kind of the essence of the drop coverage. Right, yeah. So like you said, you said the big thing. The drop is essentially protect the rim and try and entice teams into taking shots the defense wants, which is the deep pull-up mid-range two. Um, because like you said, the guy guarding the ball handler goes over the screen. And if you're doing it right, you should almost entice the ball handler to go inside the arc because that's where the space is. And then you're trying to, I guess, apply back pressure from behind, try and get a late contest um, and make those, make them shoot those like eight to 19 foot shots that, you know, the analytics people will scream at you for, you know. Um, I think you see the reason this is probably the most prominent coverage in terms of the regular season play. I think you see that right a lot now, because yeah. as opposed to some of the other coverages we'll get into, I think the drop is one of the few that only requires two defensive players to be involved in the action. You know, you have the guy guarding the screener and you have the guy guarding the ball and you should relatively be okay with the other three staying home with their players. So I think that's kind of why this has become more and more common. Uh, you're, you're allocating less defensive resource to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, some other coverages that I had wrote down and, you know, if you have any more after, you know, feel free to add in, but obviously you have the drop, which we talked about. You have the easiest one in the game is the switch. Mm -hmm. uh, ball handler comes up. The guy guarding the screener switches onto the ball handler. Pretty simple. Um, you have a high hedge, and you'll see this a lot when, take for example, LeBron, Kevin Durant, um, the Giannis. These guys have the ball, and a small guy is screening for them, and the defense does not want to switch that because obviously it's a unfavorable matchup for the defense. What happens is. The guy guarding the screener, so let's say it's a point guard screening, the guy guarding that point guard is basically stepping up to stop penetration 
from the drive and then recovering to his man. So he's stepping up high in a high hedge uh, and then recovering. While this is going on, the guy that's guarding the ball handler is going underneath the screen and trying to basically take an angle to recover onto the ball handler without giving up the rim. Where this gets tricky is, like I was saying, this is bringing in that third defender a lot of times because that split second where both guys are rotating back to their men, the rim is wide open. So a lot of times you'll see a guy from either corner have to sag down to protect the basket for a second until everybody can get back on their men. And um, this is a very effective um, offensive play to screen like a, a world talent, you know, with a small guy. Um, and it and it does allocate a little bit more resources defensively to try and stop that. And then the other one I had written down here was trapping it. Um, you see this a lot with guys like Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, guys who can shoot it from so far, a drop coverage won't work because they don't mind stepping into those, you know, 17 to 19 footers, or they'll just set the screen way higher and step into a three pointer. Um, so a lot of times you'll see guys trap the ball handler goes, Oh, the ball handlers man goes over the screen. The screeners man comes up basically in a high hedge, but he's staying there. So you put two on the ball. And a lot of times you see guys like Draymond green is perfected the short roll, get it. And you're playing four on three on the back end. And a lot of times this is a sacrifice the defense has to make because you don't want Steph Curry shooting, you know, Draymond Green is a great four on three decision maker, but I much rather have him do that than Steph Curry come off and see drop coverage. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. So those were the four that I had. Did you have any more that you've seen or? Uh, that was only three, right? Uh, you didn't cover icing. Oh, and ice. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk ice? So icing, the basic idea of icing is just to reject the screen entirely. Yeah. Um, you see it more commonly with screens set closer to the sideline as opposed to up at the top in the middle of the floor because it's a little harder to do it up there. But it's basically, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's the uh, the guy guarding the ball handler steps forward basically so that he's never able to come around the screen. Right, correct? right. Yeah, so the, 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 ball, the guy guarding the ball handler, let's say you're on the left side of the court, the guy guarding the ball handler's job is to make sure you cannot go to the middle of the floor. You cannot go right. right. So in essence, what he's doing is shading you to keep going left and keep going towards the basket. So you say, okay, why would he let, you know, the rim be open? The guy guarding the screener, sort of similar to the drop coverage, is going to stay down and he's going to be on that line of deployment between the ball handler and the rim. Um, to negate people driving. So it's basically, in a sense, it's drop coverage on the side, but you're not letting them use the screen at all, like you said. Um, right, you're trying I, to reject the screen. Yeah, you have uh, guys like Tom Thibodeau made this famous with those Chicago Bull teams in the early 2010s. Um, the Lakers run a lot of it on the side as well when we had JaVale and Dwight. Yeah, last year the Lakers were doing it all the time. Yeah, we were doing it up at the top, which was like, okay. Which is a little unusual, but hey, if it was working. Yeah, but um, so now I guess we can talk about, you know, some of the cons of running all of them. Um, and I guess I'll start with ice. I think 
one of the biggest things that you can use to beat ice uh, coverage is you have a, a guard penetrate into that little pocket and you have the screener be someone who can shoot the three because instead of a, being a pick and roll, he just pops out and that big has to go all the way from the rim to the top of the, you know, to the three point line. And that's a tough closeout against NBA quality, yeah, you know, shooters. Um, you see guys like Kevin Love have feasted off of ice coverage played against him because, you know, back in his day, he was just hitting hitting threes against slow plotting big men who were protecting the paint. Um, mm -hmm. The high hedge, like I said, I think the biggest issue for that is it takes that third man to be occupied in the play, which frees up a lot of corner threes. And people like Luka Doncic, they abuse high hedges because he's yeah. so good at looking at the rim, like he's going to pass it there, dishes it to the corner. Yeah, you can, also run in, you can also run into a problem hedging if your big who's stepping forward to hedge is a little bit slower footed mm. and you're going up against a quicker guard who can kind of get around that hedge and then just head to the rim. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dame Lillard does this a lot. Um, sometimes he'll see a high hedge or try and just go right around the guy who is coming up. He's like, okay, right. now we're playing four on three, but instead of that role man being the ball handler, it's me. And that's, right. you know, that's a scary proposition. So you're absolutely right. Um, against a trap, obviously pretty simple. The guy, no. rolled, uh, just think Draymond when you see a trap, that's the yeah. con of it, <laughs> you know, the Draymond. Yeah. Yeah, the disadvantage is you end up four on three and you're at a numbers disadvantage. Right. And then um, the drop coverage, you know, against the high quality teams, take Milwaukee, for example, the team that we talked about that you referenced your question about. Um, you see it when you go up against very good pull up jump shooters and just good shooting teams in general. Miami Heat last year in the bubble. Uh, 2019 going against guys like Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard um, in that Raptor series. If you give up open pull-up jumpers to them, they'll take it. They'll beat you. They'll kill you by twos. They don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I like that you said you see a lot of the drop coverages in the regular season. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as effective in the playoffs for that reason. I remember last year with Milwaukee going into the playoffs, I was convinced that Boston was going to destroy them. I was convinced that Kimball was going to just eat those drop coverages alive. Now, as it worked out, Miami beat them before we ever got to even see yes. them play Boston. But I, I was just convinced Boston was going to kill those drop coverages. Mm -hmm. And then the, the easy uh, pick and roll coverage, just switching it. Obviously, you know the disadvantage is there. You get a guy who's not as good of a defender on – someone who's a great offensive player. Um, so out of or those, even just size disadvantages. Even right. if you have a good defender in, I don't know, let's say Chris Paul, and then he gets switched onto a bead, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah good point. Good point. Um, so let's say out of all those coverages we've we've um, listed, I guess what which one are you most favorable to? Which one would you think you would implement um, if you were a coach? So that's a tough question. I don't think there is any best coverage. I think it's all about knowing the strengths of your team, mm. knowing the strengths of the team you're playing, and it's all very situational. Um, furthermore, at like the NBA level, 
I think it becomes even more important to vary up what you do because I think if you show the same coverage to a LeBron James or a Luka Doncic again and again and again by the third time in a row, they know what they're doing and they're going to eat it alive. Yeah. To, to echo your point, I think it's it's solely personal based, uh, Roger. I think a lot of it is if you have a team, let's say like last year's Lakers, for example, you know, I'm talking to Lakers because that's, that, that's who I watch the most. Um, we have very athletic big men. So icing and playing drop coverage wasn't as hard for us because our bigs were able to get out to the perimeter quicker than most while still being able to protect the rim. Whereas this year, when we run the lineups with Marcus Saul or even um, with Montrose Harrell, who's a good athlete, but he's 6'7", uh, we like to high hedge and we like to trap a little bit more and just be fast on the back end. Because our when we're at a four-on-three disadvantage, our three are usually LeBron, AD, and, you know, third person, KCP, Caruso, whoever it is. You know, we're a little more able to, able to – uh, to play the four on threes uh, more than most teams. So I think, like you said, it's all personnel based. Um, yeah, it varies based on who you're playing as well. Yeah. So like earlier when we were talking about blitzing, or I'm sorry, trapping, same thing. Same thing. Um, yeah. we, referenced, we referenced Steph Curry. And I think this year when the talent around him is less than what it has been in years past, it's become even more effective. If I'm playing the Warriors, I'm blitzing Steph Curry every chance I get and taking every the ball play. out of his hands, every making play. those other guys beat me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have guys like Luca, who, you know, I feel like sometimes switching wouldn't be a bad idea on those type of guys. Not that Luca couldn't kill a switch. Of course he can. He's, he's shown us before, but he doesn't um, kill in isolations like some of these other guys in, in terms of how he gets his points. Um He's much better going against the hedges and the drops because then he can use his creativity to make passing angles and things like that. Um, And like I said, it's not to say that a switch is the way to stop Luka Doncic, obviously not. But I think, you know, out of these coverages, I think that's probably the most effective on that type of player. Um, I think if I was a coach, especially like you give me this Lakers roster, I'd probably try and high hedge slash trap everything because like I said, I think no one's ever going to come up and set the screen with Anthony Davis's man. So he's automatically on the back line of defense. A lot of times Um, just off of reputation, they're probably not going to set it with LeBron's man either. So that's two guys in my four on three uh, that are very athletic, can cover a lot of ground, are smart, think the game well defensively. Um, so with the personnel that my team has specifically, I guess the best answer for me would be, um, you know, if, if I was the coach of, let's say the Lakers, I would probably high hedge and just trap a lot and just rely on our athletic athleticism to be able to scramble all over the place. Sure. Yeah. I do like, I will say, I do like icing when, when possible. I like icing down closer to the sidelines most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think anytime you keep the ball at the middle of the floor, it's it's for probably sure. a win. it's probably a win for your defense. Um, but Roger, we appreciate the question. We had a lot of fun with that one in the prep of that because that was that was fun. That was a good one to talk about. That'll kind of segue into some of the stuff we're talking about. And Roger, good luck making varsity, dude. Yeah, good luck, buddy. Um, all right, so let's get into the next question here. We have 
um, one from Arun, and he says, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on the top three uh, picks of this year's draft, and especially LaMelo? So I guess, uh, as you guys know, LaMelo's been killing it. Um, but we're going to start with the number one pick, Anthony Edwards, uh, averaging 15 points, four rebounds a game. Uh, his shooting splits aren't great, you know, 38 from the field. Thirty from three point and eighty from the line. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not watching too much Timberwolves, but when I do watch them, I'm obviously looking to see how he's playing. How does he? How does he deal with a losing environment? Because obviously, anytime you're the number one pick, more times than not, you're going to um, a team that's not ready to win yet. And he seems very upbeat. You know, you've seen a lot of the clips on Twitter and things like that. Um, him in the press conferences, he seems like a really good personality. Uh, and I think that's good for Minnesota. I think when you have such a, to be nice, such a terrible franchise, um, they're actually, Adam, fun fact, they're the lowest winning percentage uh, franchise across all four major sports. Yeah, they just passed Tampa Bay. And what and what time period? Like ever? Wow. Oh, since since the uh the franchise's existence, yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, they just passed Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually for the Ouch. most losingest franchise. But um he does seem like a, a very good um spark of energy, I guess, for a, a team that's been so cursed almost. Uh, obviously, he has the highlight plays. He had that crazy dunk over that Raptors dude. But he took that man's soul. But I see, I see. Not to be, you know, the the boomer dude or whatever, the the get off my line, off my lawn guy. But he just takes a lot of bad shots for me. Um, a lot of his draft comparisons were guys like Victor Oladipo, Dwayne Wade, best case scenario, um, and he shoots some shots in the games where you're just like damn man like we probably could have got a better one that that possession um and I think this is you know obviously it's growing pain to the NBA and things like that but I think he's starting to slowly realize like oh damn I can't just show up and just out talent people anymore you know what I mean yeah I think he's figured out a little bit um he's been he got put into the starting lineup a few weeks back yeah. and I think has stayed there I think that happened with D'Lo out and Cat was out and all of that um I watched a lot of Anthony Edwards in college. I watched him play quite a bit at Georgia, and it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever done because <laughs> at Georgia, before they even tipped off, you could just look at the dudes on the court and tell this guy is built different. Yeah, This guy is just athletically on a different level, and he was. Anytime in college that he wanted to just go to the rim and dunk on anybody, he did it, but preferred to just shoot step back threes with hands in his face mm. all game long and it was incredibly frustrating and I feel like a lot of that has carried over into the NBA he's still taking bad shots even at now the NBA level he's uber athletic yeah the dude he can jump out the gym his upper body strength is really impressive fighting through contact and stuff um he just makes a lot of bad decisions he makes terrible reads trying to pass the ball uh, he gets caught ball watching a lot on defense and not making his rotations right. 
um, not sitting down in his stance as well as he could, which is frustrating because he's got length and upper body strength and athleticism and quick feet and all the tools he would need to be a great defender. Yeah. I still think he can figure it out. All of the tools are there on both sides of the ball is basically the story. It's about if he wants to put the effort in, which is something I've been concerned about for a while, both from his attitude at Georgia and then right before the draft, he had that comment about, I'd rather be a football player or a rapper. I sound just like a little baby. I'd rather do that than play basketball. It's very concerning. Yeah. Um, but hopefully it works out. I hope so. I want more highlight dunks and more Anthony Edwards because he's very exciting. He's very entertaining. Uh, for sure. I think um, one of the things I listened to uh, Bill Simmons podcast probably a week ago or so, and he, he made a good point. He was like, you could tell me this kid is the next D Wade, or you could tell me he's the next Dion waiters. And I'd believe both. And I think that's, you know, obviously he's a rookie. Like we're not here to try and say he can't come good and be better than he's been, but it is very like hot and cold with him at the moment. Yeah. Um, I always thought, instead of Deion Waiters, I always thought Andrew Wiggins. And he's built a little different. It feels Wiggins-like, yeah. It feels Wiggins-like. Number one overall pick, playing for the Timberwolves. Technically, Wiggins drafted by the Cavs, but playing for the Timberwolves. Kind of disinterested, uber-athletic, has these occasional just highlight reel jamming it on people, which Wiggins said. It's it's very reminiscent of that to me. Yeah, it's a great comp, bro. So, you know, we'll hold out hope for all these guys. He's played uh, all 36 games this season, which I do like. I do like availability. Um, So as we move on from pick one to number two, uh, on the Golden State Warriors, we have James Wiseman. He's averaging 12.6 rebounds and a block. Uh, His shooting splits are 52 from the field, 40 from three, uh, 63 from the free throw line. Uh, What are you seeing that you like about James Wiseman? Um, I like the touch that I've seen from him on his shot, not just out to three, but mid-range, even kind of some little turnaround type stuff. Um, I like that 1.1 blocks per game. He's only playing 20 minutes, so blocking a shot per game is is solid coming over from the weak side. What I don't like is his hands. Mm. James Wiseman can't catch a pass, which is kind of a big deal for a big man in today's pick-and-roll heavy NBA. Um, He's flashed some stuff, though. I think Wiseman has a, a very promising future. Tall guy, long guy, jump high, showing some nice touch. Yeah, um, touch is actually the word I had written down. He's very skilled for a guy that big, um, about 7'1", 240, 250, something like that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. He's shown a lot of, like, those little – I call them those little Stephen Adams shots from, like, about seven, eight feet, the one-handed floaters. That like, little kind of flip it up in there. Yeah, the yeah. little flip shots. You know, it's like can't get all the way to the rim on some of the rolls. Just go over it. Go over the top. Uh, And he's shown a very good ability to make those. Uh, The 40 percent from three, you can do with that what you like. He doesn't shoot a lot of them. Um, But the fact that he won a game off the top of my head. Yeah. The fact that he is able to make them at that sort of clip is promising, you know, and I think that's really all the Warriors could hope for when you're in that sort of gap year, I guess you can say. 
you have the dynasty, you win three out of five titles, and then you get a number two pick, I think you go for highest potential upside. And I think that's ultimately why they felt Wiseman was the guy. I think even if they would have had the number one pick, I think they still would have took him. Um, I think so too. Because A, he's a better fit for the, the team. B, I think the potential of him, even if he doesn't turn out to be an all-star player, uh, his prospects of being a a uh, a roller or when Draymond's catching the short roll in the four on three that we talked about being the lob threat, um, you know, being able to guard on the perimeter. Uh, you can kind of all see that maybe, you know, shaping out uh, in his future. Uh, 25 games played. He's missed uh, a few due to a wrist injury. Um, but so far, so good from James Wiseman. I, uh, there was a stretch early on where I, every game it looked like he was slowly starting to put it together, slowly starting to put it together. And I think that injury made a, may have derailed him a bit, but um, I've liked what I've seen so far. To get to Arun's main guy here, we'll talk Charlotte Hornets draft pick number three, LaMelo Ball. The better ball, averaging 16 points, <laughs> uh, six rebounds, six assists. Uh, shooting splits of 45 from the field, 38 from three, 80 from the line. And since he's entered the starting lineup, those numbers go up to 20 points, seven assists, six rebounds on 46, 45, 85. So uh, there was, you know, a little bit of a talk when he wasn't getting a lot of minutes early on, like, why is this kid not starting? Why is Devontae Graham playing over him? Boom, Devontae Graham gets injured. LeVar throws the voodoo in the air. Uh, and this kid's come in, and he really has, in my opinion, when I watch the Hornets, he's galvanized this team. And I think this is one of those traits that's so hard to evaluate, I guess, when you're, when you're scouting between um, guys who are so close in terms of talent. It's hard to tell who can get the best out of their teammates. Um, and obviously you would lean to him out of these three guys because of his great passing ability, but there just seems to be a certain energy when he's on the court that they play with. You know, I see guys like Terry Rozier picking up full court. Now I see guys like Miles Bridges having a career year because, you know, he's out and run. He was, he wants to run the lane when LaMelo has the ball. Cause he knows there's a good chance the pass is going to come to him. Uh, PJ Washington has been balling. He's even got guys like, um, you know, Bismack, Biombo, and Cody Zeller looking like proper centers. And I would have never said that uh, last year, I promise. Um, but the thing that's been most impressive to me uh, before I let you go is just the confidence he has in his three-point shot now. Uh, like I said, 38% on the year, which was the knock on him coming into the draft. Was, right. Are you going to be able to shoot at a sufficient level to where – we're not playing four on five defensively when you don't have the, or offensively when you don't have the ball. And um, the fact that he's taken quite a bit of them, the fact that he's making them at a decent rate uh, is very, very, uh, very surprising, but it's also very uh, pleasantly surprising, I guess. Encouraging. Encouraging. That, I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is encouraging. The The three-point shooting was certainly a concern. He's got a funky-looking shot, um, as all of the ball brothers apparently do. But it's going in, which is very, very promising. 
Um, Promising. That would have been another word. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like everything you said about how, how much harder the team plays with him on the floor. And what I think it comes down to, or at least what it looks like to me, it looks like playing basketball with LaMelo Ball is fun. Yeah. He makes it fun for, for me as a viewer. He makes it fun, it looks like, for his teammates. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to go out there and run the floor hard when you're having fun like that. Um, that's kind of an underrated thing, I think. A team's having fun playing basketball or you're generally right. play a little bit better. Um, I've been blown away with LaMelo. I really have. I was a hater right out the gate because I don't like LeVar. I can't stand Lonzo, who's on my team. Um <laughs> I feel like Lonzo makes a lot of flashy passes, but he's not necessarily a high IQ player who makes good decisions. And I just kind of assumed LaMelo was going to be the same thing. And after his first couple games, I hadn't really watched. I'd seen some clips of some flashy passes and I was like, yep, here we go, same thing. But once I actually started watching, that's not the case at all. LaMelo really understands what's happening. Um, A perfect example, and it's actually something my brother pointed out to me, is a play, I don't remember who they were playing, but they had gotten a switch and had Bridges down on the low block with a smaller guy on him. And uh, I think it was Gordon Hayward was coming up to set a screen for LaMelo up top, and LaMelo waved him off because it created more space for him to just dump it into that mismatch and Bridges just overpowered the dude and dunked it. You'd never see Lonzo do that. That's a great play. He called off a screen to create a better shot for like a, a totally different dude. Yeah. And that, that's some of the magic of LaMelo. The one knock or the one concern that still persists is can he generate his own offense in the half court? Can he get to the rim? Can he find his own shot other than just spotting up in the corner or whatever? Um, but he's a rookie. There's plenty of time to figure that out. And everything I've seen from LaMelo so far has been very, very impressive really yeah um so a couple things there the first thing you said about him uh recognizing that mismatch with bridges that's a play uh for the kids listening out there i guess you know for roger you'll never see that on twitter you'll never see that on the bleacher report clips or whatever but those are plays that win you games you know those are plays that keep you on the floor um because, you know, every now and then, sometimes the best play, the most flashy play is just the right play. You know, uh, our coach always used to say that, and I stand by that. Like, it doesn't always have to be the no-look cross-quarter. Uh, you know, sometimes it could just be a simple bounce pass across the lane. But, yeah, I've also been kind of thoroughly impressed with his defensive instinct. I don't want to say he's a good defender, um, because I feel like that would be a little bit generous. But... A lot of times you see guys like um, guys like Luka Doncic, guys like, I don't know, Steph Curry sometimes. It's like these guys are such high-level offensive players and decision makers that it helps their defense because they know, generally they know what the read is um, that the offensive player is making. So they'll just positionally be, positionally be a step ahead because it's a play they're so used to making, you know? Yeah, they see it before it happens. Right, and I think you see a lot of that out of LaMelo. He gets a lot of deflections and steals just based off of not having the best hands or not being this on-ball pest, but just simply, 
oh man, how did he know I was going to pass it there? It's because he's making those same passes constantly on the other end. And um, I've been impressed that he's actually, you know, shown effort there. Um, I think he, A for one, he has to in order to stay on the court, but um, just playing with better players as opposed to, you know, when he was coming up in the draft process of playing in, what was it, Lithuania, and then in Australia last year, it's like, you know, when you're playing with Andrew Bogut as your second best player, I, I'm not going to try that hard either. <laughs> but, um, but I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is he seems like one of those guys who, when the talent around him is better, uh, it elevates his game as well. And I guess when the opponent is better, the same thing happens. I, I remember a game against the Suns. Um, down the stretch, he was great. He was guarding Chris Paul and he was like attacking off the dribble, getting switches and things like that. And I'm like, okay, this kid has something that um, a lot of guys his age probably just will never get. And it's just that, that, um, that, that sheer confidence in his ability to be like, sometimes it's irrational, but it's like, Hey, I rather you be too confident than not confident enough. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah Lamella thinks he's the man. Yeah. Uh, Dion Waiters has a great, great quote about irrational confidence. He's like, I'd rather go 0 for 11 than 0 for 2 because 0 for 2 meant you stopped shooting. <laughs> yes, I've seen that before, yeah. Uh, but uh, as we transition to our next question from Christian, um, staying on the Hornets, he says, out of these two teams, which do you think is more likely to make the playoffs, the Hornets or the Atlanta Hawks? And uh, I know as of today, the Hawks are 16 and 20. But okay. I can tell you the Hornets are currently in seventh place seventh, in the okay. East. They are half a game up on the Raptors, who are in eighth. The Hawks are in tenth place in the East and are one game back on the Raptors, who are in eighth place. Okay. So based on what you've seen this season, what you've caught from both teams, in order to make a second half run, who do you think is more equipped to uh, find their way into, you know, the playoffs? So – Specifically asking who's more likely of the two, I think it's the Hornets. Um, I think the Hornets just have a little bit more ways they can beat you. The Hawks are going to go as far as Trey Young can take them. And I think that's kind of it with them. I think going back to the pick and roll discussion from earlier, I think if you're blitzing Trey or, or trapping him, whatever you want to call it, and getting the ball out of his hands, a lot, I think the Hawks are going to struggle with what to do from there. Um, also, the Hawks just fired their coach. Yeah. Firing your coach in the middle of the season and transitioning to a new coach is never a positive thing for a team trying to make the playoffs. So the Hornets, you know, like I said, the Hawks are going to go as far as Trey can carry him, but the Hornets have Gordon Hayward. Terry Rozier can kind of do his own thing. Devontae Graham to a lesser extent, LaMelo getting everybody involved. I just think they have a little bit more diversity in, in how they can attack you. Yeah. All right. So if we're making the case for the Hornets, which I agree with you, I think they're better set up to, to find their way into the playoffs out of the two teams. I generally think neither of them will make it, but, you know, stick yeah, to the question. Sticking That's to the question. Yeah. <laughs> Sticking to the question. I think, um, like you said, 
the Hornets, they're a little bit more diverse. They also, I think, play a better brand of basketball uh, if we're making the case for them. I think they share it more, uh, which reflects in them being fourth in assists. Uh, you have a guy like Gordon Hayward, who you mentioned, who was putting up close to all-star level numbers uh, in the first half of the season. And he's also proven that he can be a number one option when things get rough. He might not have to do it every single night because you can uh, do it a little bit more by committee in Charlotte than he had in Utah. But the fact that he has been able to do it before is a feather in their cap. Um I really like Miles Bridges and him and LaMelo that, that, uh, that do, I think they call them Airbnb bridges and ball, um, mm. which is pretty, yeah, I like it. Um, I like that. Yeah. But I think, uh, like I was saying, just to that point, I think they're more cogs in a machine rather than the Hawks where if I'm making the case for the Hawks and I'll, I'll let you jump in here, it's out of both of these teams, the Hawks have the best player. Um, Trey Young has, you know, averaged 27 and 10 before this year. He's putting up very good numbers as well. And on paper, I actually think this is a deeper team, but on paper, like papers never won me a game either, you know? Right. Um, you have guys like Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, who just got hurt, uh, Kevin Werder, John Collins, Clint Capella. Gallo. Gallinari, Bogdanovich, uh, yeah. Trey, like these are very high level players in my opinion. And for whatever reason, I, which I think the main reason is that their brand of basketball isn't very good. It, it feels kind of James Harden on the Rockets vibes. Like they play Trey ball. They play Trey ball. They play Trey ball. And the Rockets played Harden ball. The Hawks play Trey ball. Yeah. And it reflects their 20th in the league and assist. Um, one thing they have going for them over the Hornets, and I want to, you know, have you weigh in on the, the the positives for the Hawks is their fourth and free throw attempts. A lot of that is Trey Young and the little the um, the little clever fouls he draws, we'll just say. Uh, and um, they 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 really get to the line. John Collins is patrolling the paint well. Clint Capella is a very good rebounder and provides a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, but let's say if we're making the case for the the Hawks, what would you, I guess, gravitate toward? Mainly the fact that they do have the best player out of the two, um, and that I do think some of their players are, are complementary to Trey. Uh, I think Capella's a great pick and roll um, option with him and, and go and catch lobs and stuff. Um, that's kind of what I've got for their case over the Hornets this year. I do think the Hawks probably have a brighter future than the Hornets do. I think their young core has more upside. And you got to remember guys like DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, it's only their second year in the NBA. Right. Um, I, I think long-term, those guys have more upside than like a, a Devontae Graham, who's one of the younger pieces on the Hornets, who I don't think has that high of a long-term ceiling. I'm with you. But for this year, I, I certainly think the Hornets would have the better shot. Yeah. Uh, so Christian, thank you for that question. Me and Adam both have gone with the Hornets. Uh, so as we move on to our next question here, this is from Zoe. She asks, 
the four conference finals teams, the Nuggets, Lakers, Celtics, and Heat, have all got off to um, starts that are probably below expectation, which I agree with. Um, what do you think the main reason for that is? Do you think it's all bubble related? So what I got from this question was, is she, or do we think the reason they are all probably lower than they expected to be coming into the year, is that solely due to just having a shorter off season or is there something more to it? So when I started digging into this, I think the biggest factors for at least three, if not all four of these teams on why they are underperforming where they would expect is key players missing games. Mm -hmm. um, for example, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, 14 apiece, missed games. Tyler Hero, 11, go to Boston. Marcus Smart's missed 19. Kemba's missed 16, go to Denver. Uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s missed 17. Gary Harris has missed 17. Millsap's missed 10. You've got Anthony Davis as the obvious one for the Lakers. I think you could argue that these teams are more susceptible to injuries right now than other teams because they are coming off such a short off season. But I don't necessarily think they're playing worse basketball as a result of like fatigue or anything like that. Okay. Um, and looking specifically at Miami, most of time Jimmy missed was COVID related. Yeah. So that can't really be attributed to the shorter off season. Um, yeah. So let's, let's do the East first, I guess with Miami. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that was just sheer bad luck with COVID and, and the injuries, you know, um, once Jimmy's come back, they've looked like the Miami heat that we know, um, They've been in yeah. a really good form as of late. Uh, they still haven't had a lot of Avery Bradley playing, uh, not a lot of Mo Harkless. Yeah. Um, Avery Bradley's missed 26 games out of 36. Wow. He's only played in 10 games. He's got a calf injury and hopefully should be back not long after the All-Star breaks. Okay. Um, so some of their key replacements to guys they let go uh, haven't played a lot and they're still starting to find their stride, which I think Miami will be fine is basically yeah. a long-winded answer. So when Jimmy came back from his lengthy, lengthy COVID absence, they lost his first game back against Washington. And at that point were seven and 14, mm -hmm. which is a terrible place to be for the defending Eastern conference champions. Since that game, they've gone 11 and four. Okay. And are now at, after tonight's win over the Pelicans, at 18 and 18. They're right at 500. They're in sixth place in the West. And yeah, I think Miami's fine. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. As for the Celtics, um, and mind you, I'm a Laker fan, so a little of this is going to sound biased. And it might be. But anyway, uh, I think it's the Celtics' problems are solely because they're just not a very good team. I think the Marcus Smart injury is a huge blow because not only is he the heart and soul of the team, not only does he uh, is he the best defender on that team, but he can kind of be a Band-Aid for a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, mistakes that you make defensively. Um, someone misses a rotation, Marcus Smart will go do it for you and then rotate back to his guy. Um, you need a secondary playmaker when Tatum is out or when Brown is out, Marcus Smart can be that from time to time. 
Um, so I don't want to dismiss that at all. But I generally just don't think they're deep enough. And it was a concern going to the season that we both had. Uh, once you get past those top four guys of Brown, Tatum, Walker, and Smart, it's a lot of okays and as and yeah, on his day, he's okay. You know what I mean? Daniel Tice, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, uh, Robert Williams, who I like, Gigum, but you know, he's never going to just blow you away. Semi Ojale, if I have to see him play yeah. 20 minutes one more time, like I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to sleep. Uh, Tiff Teague <laughs> hasn't been the signing they thought. Um, Grant Williams. Grant Williams, another, you know, okay player. Doesn't do anything yeah. wrong, but doesn't do anything special either. Um, Romeo Langford hasn't played for them all year, who I think they were banking on. Uh, their draft pick, uh, Neesmith, has been just a guy who runs to a spot in the corner and plays defense. He doesn't really do much outside of shoot and defend. And I think he is one of those guys who his draft prospects kind of hindered his NBA game because he shot like 50% from three in college. So yeah. everyone's coming in with the knowledge that this guy can shoot, like not just at the college level. So they're just not leaving him mm -hmm. and he's not really providing a lot. Um, Peyton Pritchard has been a bright spot and a lot of games he's bailed them out because they really have no depth. I, I can't, I can't name you a time where they outscored another team's bench. I know it's probably happened, but I've watched a lot of the Celtics this year and it just always feels like they're drawn dead um, outside of those big four guys that I mentioned. Yeah, so Marcus Smart, you mentioned he's missed 19 games um, with a calf injury, hopefully back sometime after the All-Star break. Kimba's missed a lot of time. Kimba's missed 16 games so far of the 36 that they've played. And in the times that Kimba has played, he's been bad. Yeah. Um, Kimba's shooting below 40% from the floor. Um, his minutes per game, his assists per game are both the lowest they've been since his rookie year. Um, he's had a lot of like one for 14, three point shooting nights, stuff like that has not hit his stride at all. Uh, they're 22nd in points per game, which is bottom third of the league. They, they struggle to score, which was kind of one of the concerns um, coming into the year. And the biggest concern with that to me is that they are, I feel like they're getting as much as they're going to get out of Tatum and Brown. So and yeah. still are 22nd in, in points per game. Um, so it's going to be a struggle for them to find that offense. Mm -hmm. uh, they're in fourth place in the East, which, I mean, isn't bad. They finished third last year, so they're yeah. not that far behind where they were as far as the standings go. Their record is worse than it was last year. Um, I do think – Boston's a team that's more built for the playoffs than they are for the regular season. They don't have a lot of depth like we talked about, but you tend to shorten up your rotations once you get into the playoffs anyways. Yeah. Their key scorers are guys who can hit tough mid-range shots, which becomes more important in the playoffs. So I can still see them winning a series, maybe two. Mm. But... I don't think they're a serious contender this year. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and in the last segment, we were talking about the Hornets. 
they could use a Gordon Hayward right now. I know, obviously, he wasn't the Gordon Hayward yeah, that um, that that is showing up this year due to injuries and things like that. But even underachieving Gordon Hayward last year was a guy, another guy who just knows what to do, can make a play for others, can make a play for himself, uh, is a smart guy out there who can create offense. And, you know, now when you're relying on guys who aren't comfortable doing that, extra 10% of the work workload goes on those top two guys. And like you said, I think as well as they've played, I don't see a world where they both go up another level. Maybe one of them, maybe Tatum goes up another level. Um, but I don't see a world where they both elevate their game to even another six, five, five six points per game. And I think that's going to be needed for, like you said, if they, if they want to be, you know, taken serious. Um, so as we move west, you have the Lakers who going into the all-star break will be fourth in the west. We are tied with the Clippers, uh, or we might be third. I think they just lost tonight. Um, so we're technically a half game up. Yeah, y'all are third right now. Yeah, but I think they have what one less or one more lost than us, same amount of wins. Yeah, I think, I think they're a half game back. Yeah, um, and then you have Denver, who is where's Denver at? Denver is currently in sixth place okay. in the Western Conference at 21 and 15. 21 and 15. Uh, they got off to an abysmal start at one and four. So mm -hmm. just, I mean, first five games, but that's a terrible start out of the gate. Since then, 20 wins, 11 losses, okay. pretty solid pace, guys missing time, 17 games for uh, Porter Jr., 17 games for Gary Harris, 10 games for Paul Millsap, 11 games for Jermichael Green. This puts them in a place where the dudes coming in off the bench are dudes I've never even heard of, which I think says a lot because I obviously watch a lot of basketball. Um, Jokic is balling, like balling, balling. Balling, balling. Uh, he's leading Denver in every statistic except for block shots, including steals, interestingly enough. Um, he's playing a career high in minutes per game because he's skinny Jokic now and he can do that. <laughs> he's dunked the ball more already than he did all of last year by a lot. Wow. Um, yeah, Jokic is Jokic is great fun right now. He's killing. Um, I think this the Denver thing was um, a lot of it is missing Jeremy Grant, obviously, you know. He's playing very well in uh, Detroit, by the way. Yeah, he's playing great in Detroit. Um, I definitely don't think he would have did that in Denver, but just the fact that he would have been there, another defender, another guy who can get you 15 to 20 um, on a given night with Jokic, has the, the uh, continuity with those guys. Uh, so you're replacing him with Michael Porter Jr., who stylistically I don't think fits as well. Obviously, he's a better talent, but I think stylistically he is, at least in his head, he's the number one or two option. And oh, yeah. in reality, he would be a great sixth man for them, I think. Come off the bench, chuck as much as you want, be Jordan Clarkson for us um, in a 6'10 body. I think the, the biggest problem with Denver lies that they don't generate a lot of easy offense outside of Jokic. So Jokic, right. offensive force unto himself. As you said, he's been balling, balling. He's like 
only averaging like 0.5 assists less than Luca this year, and Luca's been killing it. Um, but they're 24th in free throw attempts this year. Um, and that's alarming to me because as much as, like I said, Jokic being this offensive force, being out on the block, passing for others, uh, being a great screener and things like that, if the guys are just off, that he's passing to like, it's probably going to be a loss because their defense doesn't, doesn't scream. Oh, we can stay in this game until the jumpers start falling. The defense of, uh, we just got to be good enough because our offense is going to be great. Um, it's that they don't have it. They really don't have it. In my opinion, they don't get to the line a lot. Um, and I just think, I just think maybe we were a little hyperbolic with Jamal Murray, um, taking his game up to the next level because it, it hasn't come off for him consistently enough this season. Right. So I never really believed Jamal Murray had taken a big leap. I still think he's a very hot, cold guy. Yeah. And I think him becoming a more consistent, reliable second option is the most important thing for Denver to take the next step. Um, I'm still a lot higher on Denver than a lot of people are. I think they have a lot of good players on that team around Jokic, not necessarily guys who can generate good looks, but just guys who do things well. Um, and and then Jokic is obviously the centerpiece of it all. So I, I still think Denver has some upside. I still think it's going to be fun to see if they can make some noise when the playoffs come around. So I have a question for you. So okay. you said they're sixth right now. Um, you have great teams like Utah, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, and I'm guessing the Blazers are fifth. No, that doesn't sound right. Um, Let me pull it up. I got it right here. Uh, Utah, Phoenix. Yeah, the Blazers are fifth. Yeah, Lakers, Lakers. Clippers, Blazers. Yeah, San Antonio seventh, and Dallas is eighth. Okay, so man, first of all, that's a crazy conference. But by that logic, let's say they are going into the playoffs without home court advantage. Is the nugget or even if they get it let's just say they're playing a they're probably going to be in the three to six range realistically uh playing another good team so my question to you is if this team after going to the conference finals last year if this team doesn't get it out of the first round is that a fireable offense for michael malone that's tough Mm -hmm. it could be it could be I, I mean, I'd have to watch it, you know, and, and see what happens and see how much of it I can put on Michael Malone and just how exactly it all plays out. But I definitely think that's possible. I definitely think this team has the talent that they should be getting out of the first round. I'm going to say that it, it, it definitely, not definitely, I'm going to say that it should be a fireable offense because I think um, you have a coach like Michael Malone who takes a team who was very unorganized. They were 9th, 10th, 11th a lot of times in the West. He gets there. Um, they get to a tiebreaker game of the la- on the last day against Minnesota. They lose that. Next year, they're the number two seed. Year after that, two seed. Last year, uh, three seed that gets to a conference finals. I think there's something to be said with he is a great coach to get you from bad to good and organized and structured. I don't know if he's that coach that can get you from 
good and organized and structured to great and can serious contender. Um, and I think you, you have an example of Oklahoma City Scott Brooks. That team was always great record-wise around him, and they were always getting to the second or third round. He could never get them over that hump that right. their talent suggested they should be at. Um, and I think, I guess that's my thing, and I see sort of a similar thing uh, with Michael Malone if they flame out this year in the playoffs. Yeah, I could see that there are – Brooks was a great example of the coaches whose job is to take you from bad to good, develop your young guys, get the momentum started, and then bring Excellent. in the dude who's supposed to take you over the hump. Right. Um, Brett, Brett Brown is another example. Brett Brown took over a horrendous Philadelphia team, kind of got things started rolling in the right direction. Now it's Doc Rivers. Mark Jackson mm-hmm. takes a, a unorganized – Warriors team gets things together, starts building some momentum. Steve Kerr comes in and wins the championship. So, yeah, I could definitely see that uh, that being kind of the um, progression of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. For sure. And last but not least, we got to talk uh, about the defending champs. Um, I'll let you lean into this one because, you know me, I'm very harsh on these guys because uh, I, I expect uh, a certain level of commitment and a certain level of energy and um, just a certain level of attention to detail when you have a target on your back as big as we do. A, we're defending champs. B, we're already the Lakers. People always want to beat you. Fans or no fans. C, we got LeBron on the team. So people damn near always want to beat him. You know, Um, what have you seen this year? Let's start, let's start with the goods um, and then we'll transition to some, some maybe minor concerns. So, I mean, at 24 and 13, third place in the West, the Lakers are playing well enough. They're winning games a lot more often than they're losing games. LeBron James is still the best player in the world. Um, LeBron can still take over whenever he wants. Him and AD have quite a lot of chemistry, it feels like. They play very well off one another. Um, I like what I've seen out of the Horton Tucker kid. I I enjoy watching him play. I think he, he can carve out a legitimate spot in the league. Those would be kind of the, the little summary of the uh, the good things I've seen from the Lakers. I don't want to talk too much because I know you watch a lot more Lakers than I do. Um, yeah. Um, as far as the goods, I do like that we still have the capability, uh, quote unquote, turn the water off on a team. Uh, there's a prime example. We were playing the Nuggets on a TNT game. Uh, I think we were at home and they were killing us in the first half I think they scored 67 points and then in the second half they scored 30 because like we just shut the water off for yeah. a half and we were able to scramble defensively or get in charge is that game Dennis Schroeder had the double dive or whatever um, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I do like that we still have the defensive capability to to lock up and and generate transition off our defense that's always been very aesthetically pleasing for me is that our defense could just instantly turn into a three on two or a two on two because, um, you know, LeBron gets the rebound or AD gets the rebound. They can just go. Um, I really like Marcus Gasol's addition to the starting lineup. I know his numbers haven't been great. I know that a lot of Laker fans are annoyed with him sometimes because last year we had these two 
phenomenal athletic defensive minded bigs who just covered for errors you know kcp or danny green gets beat on the perimeter last year don't worry javel and dwight are back there this year when guys are getting beat marcus soul is more of an anticipation defender and if he's not in the right spot he's not really going to yeah. cover those same mistakes yeah. and a lot of the times even if, he is, even if he is in the right spot a lot of times people aren't as intimidated to go up on him as they would for dwight or javel um sure but, but to, to speak on the goods, uh, he's opened up a lot more space offensively. Him and Schroeder have a nice little two-man game that they run sometimes. Uh, he hits LeBron on a lot of backdoor cuts that we couldn't do last year because JaVale or Dwight would be down there this year. That big is out at, at the top of the key with Mark, and he's able to make those passes. So those are some good things. Um, and as far as, yeah, the, as far as the negatives, man, um, I, obviously all of this is relative, you know. 24 and 13, the Timberwolves are probably like, Timberwolves fans are probably cursing me out right now. Like, you're disappointed in that. You know, we'd kill for 24 and 13, obviously. But the expectation coming into the season was it was the Lakers and it was everybody else, you know, obviously pre hardened trade and all that. Um, right. But it just doesn't feel like we care every night, which I understand. But it's also very frustrating. We are 25th in turnovers in the league. So we actually turned over the fifth most. Um, and we are only ninth in free throw attempts, which doesn't sound bad, but on a team with LeBron and Schroeder and Harrell and guys who live at the front of the rim, it's like, oh damn, like why are we not a little bit higher up that ladder? Um, and we yeah. also can't shoot. We also don't shoot very well. Um, so those have been some of my concerns. It's like, we're developing bad habits by not caring a lot of times. And yes, we can still flip the switch, but I don't want to talk that way because we could also be the Clippers of last year. Right. That's exactly what I was about to say. You kept hearing about last year's Clippers. They, well, when they just want to turn it on and flip that switch defensively and then get themselves back into games and this, that, and the other, and then look what happened. The most frustrating thing about the Lakers to me offensively is the lack of movement. The Lakers just stand around. I know you complain about you complain a lot about LeBron dribbling the air out of the ball, but if nobody's ever moving around, what else is he supposed to do with it? Yeah. Even when he drives and starts collapsing the defense, nobody moves. Their guys either come all the way off of them and LeBron kicks it out, or they don't. Mm -hmm. And if he kicks it out to them and the defense is ready to rotate to it quickly, what do you do next? LeBron comes back out to the top, throw it back up to him, and start over. It was hard it's and ball. So yeah. Frustrating. Yeah, it's very flat. It's very flat. Um, it's boring. The Lakers are boring to watch. And, and I, it's crazy. Boring to watch. It's that crazy to say. No sense, but it's yeah. it's the truth. It is. It is. Um, it's it's very frustrating because I've told you many a times off the air, with the talent we have, like, could you imagine a set where Marcus Gasol's at the top of the key? We throw it to him. You have Schroeder screening for AD, KCP screening for LeBron. They can't switch those because you got big, small, big, small. And you just get all these type of actions and handoffs. And Marcus Gasol can hit someone on a right. slip cut. Kind of Warriors-esque where it's just a lot of motion. And then the individual brilliance can shine if the motion doesn't work. That's kind of what I envision for this team. But I've been told before, and the more I think about it, the more I can kind of buy it, it's like, 
the type of ball we're playing now is realistically the type of ball we'll play in the playoffs. And a lot of this is just getting reps and getting comfortable in those scenarios for those guys, which I can understand. Yeah, I I do expect to see the Lakers playing harder in the playoffs. Part of what LeBron or, or part of what has helped LeBron last so long is kind of understanding how to save himself throughout the regular season yeah. and be ready to really ready to roll for the playoffs. And I think he's kind of brought that mentality to the Lakers. It's frustrating to watch as a fan right now. Hopefully it all comes together in time for y'all. I hope so, man. Zoe, thank you for that question. Uh, and then last but not least, the last one we'll get to here. Um, sorry we couldn't answer everyone's, but the last one comes from Jason. And he says, uh, what is one non-superstar player that you'd want to have on your favorite team? Uh, me and Adam took it a step further because that's kind of easy. So we did, what's one non-star player uh, that you wouldn't want to, or that you would want to have? Um, I had four names written down here. Uh, you're going to guess the, the, the obvious one, Mikael Bridges out of Phoenix. I love that mm-hmm. dude. Uh, long arms, shoots threes well, defends great. It's a great uh, energy guy, who, like I was talking about for the Lakers. Um, he'd be perfect next to LeBron and AD. Uh, he can knock down threes better than most of the guys we have on our team. The nice LeBron wants to chill defensively. Mikael Bridges, go get their best player, no problem. Um, so he'd be great. I had Marcus Smart, who we talked about a lot. Um, another seamless fit with our two best players. Um, another guy who never takes a night off. He can pl- guard up a position. He can guard his position. He can be a secondary or tertiary playmaker. Um, I really love his toughness. Uh, the third and fourth guys are just like honorable mentions, I guess. Um, I had OG Ananobi, very good defender, long, rangy, switchable. Sure. And then the fourth guy I had was Tyrese Halliburton. Mm. I actually think he'd be very cool okay. on this Lakers team. Um, in the role that Taylor Horton Tucker plays, which is like the eighth man, like come get LeBron or Schroeder and be a creator for us. Yeah. Um, I actually think Halliburton would be better next to LeBron than without him. But I think even in that role, he's shown with Sacramento that he can be the on-ball creator. Um, He hits threes at a very good rate. And he just makes winning plays, like we talked about with some of these other players. He makes winning plays. Uh, So those are my four. If I had to choose out of those four, I'm taking Bridges. Um, Sure. Yeah, Halliburton was an interesting one. Certainly not what I expected. Um, <laughs> a guy I was not very high on coming out of the draft, but has played really well this year. I've yeah. been really impressed with everything I've seen from Tyrese Halliburton. Um, some, some very interesting thoughts. So for myself, for years, I have thought a kind of non-star player that did not play for my team that I would love to have who plays winning basketball with Steven Adams. Mm. who now plays for my team. So that kind of feels like a cop out. <laughs> um, the one that I, I know you, you guessed where I'm going with this. My man, Dort Dort Dort. <laughs> out of Oklahoma City. Lou Dort is like my favorite young defender. That's in your the son, league. bro. That's your he, son. He, I, I've been loving him all last year. 
I told everybody he was going to be important in the Rocket series, and then he went and just defended the hell out of James Harden, and it was super entertaining. Um, could not shoot a three to save his freaking life last year had, until game seven, which was really weird. Um, yeah. Came out this year looking like he'd really improved that, and uh, we, we did a podcast um, talking about uh, – guys who have kind of surprised us this year and I shouted out Dort as like my honorable mention for how he was making like 45% of his threes and since that moment he has like totally tanked on the three point shooting <laughs> thing. He his his 45% is down to 32 and a half. Um which is still an improvement from last year. He hit a game winning three like last week. Uh like two weeks ago he threw down a nasty dunk in Anthony Simon's face. <laughs> um just love the way he plays the other guy I wrote down was Marcus Smart who you mentioned you mentioned all of the good things about him and I think Marcus Smart is what Lou Dort should be like five years down the road mm. um and then the very last guy that I have is another just kind of young defender that you hope to develop and that's uh Matisse Tybel out of um Philadelphia Another young guy who can't really shoot right now, uh, but just plays all the defense. He's super long. He's more out to get into passing lanes than a guy like Dort is. Um, my team is a young team who's not trying to win the championship this year. So I'm a little more out to look for younger guys that have qualities I like that can then come and like grow as part of our core nucleus. Like so that's why I lean more towards a Dort or a uh, Tybalt than towards a more established guy like Market Smart. I like that. I like, I would love Tybalt there. Um, I actually bought Absolutely. a Matisse Tybalt jersey last year. I was drinking all the Kool-Aid. Um, the guy defended his <laughs> butt off. He's very, very versatile. Um, I think there was a stat in college. He averaged like three blocks and three steals as a guard. Um in college, but I actually think that'd be a really good pairing, even next to your two best players. Cause while he's not yeah, a great shooter, so. uh, he is a little bit further along than Dort is in the development. Mm. Um, so I think it, it actually be really good. It take the pressure off of Ingram being the main perimeter defender or the secondary guys. Like now Ingram can go rest on their worst player um, and things like that. So that's a good yeah. shot. We, my Pelicans really need a guy like that. I saw um, a Pelicans reporter that I follow on Twitter had tweeted, uh, what the Pelicans really need is a guard who's going to take it personal when the other team's guard is dropping 30 on us every single night, Yes, which is happening. Jimmy scored 29 tonight. Uh, our last game was another loss. Um, and Zach Levine put like 35 on us. And that's just, that's the nightly thing. If you have a good great scoring guard he's just gonna feast on the pelicans and i like josh hart i like lonzo but they're not getting it done i'm sorry <laughs> yeah um that's all we have for the questions thank you guys so much for the support thank you guys for sending them in uh we had a lot of fun doing this adam thank you as always uh Share and subscribe, and I hope you'll join us in the next one.